Hi, welcome to Stammer Stories. My name is William Lovin and I'm your host and founder of this podcast. In this podcast, we talk about stammering from all perspectives. I'll be talking to people who stammer, people who work in the stammer field and people who have a general interest in the topic. And as you would have heard, for this latest series, we are talking to some very exciting guests, but also we are working with some very exciting companies, brands, but also some influencers bring stammering awareness to the front of people's minds, but also to make it a normal topic to speak about. There's there's a book series that has come out, and when I say, and because of having dyslexia, reading a book sometimes isn't my forte because of a dyslexia, but... When, when I tell you that I was doing a 28-hour journey back from New Zealand, I finished this book in that whole journey because I was just gripped to this book. And and now, the latest book, when you're listening to this, has now come out called The Funniest Boy in the World. And the first book was called The Boy Who Made Everyone Laugh. And this journey is amazing. And I can relate to every bit of it. But also, these books wouldn't be here without the, the incredible Helen Rutter, these are awful these books, but also one of the reasons why I love these books even more is that she's got a son who has a stammer, so she can relate to everything, but also she knows what it's like from a second-hand perspective of what it's like to stammer. So Helen, welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you, Will. It's lovely to meet you, albeit on a computer screen, but I'm really happy to be talking to you. Thank you. So can you just introduce yourself and then tell the viewers what you do? Yeah, so um, yeah, so my name's Helen Rutter and I um it was about five years ago now. I had an idea for a story. I never thought I would write a book. This was not part of my plan. I did not expect to be able to call myself an author. Um, and But I had an idea for a story um, that was inspired by my son. And I had time. I was really lucky in that sense that I was out of work. So I had time enough to kind of explore it. And I wrote this book essentially for my son at the time and as I was writing it I kind of fell in love with writing and I fell in love with this character that I was writing Billy Plimpton um and got more and more excited really as the story kind of grew I got more excited about it um and as did my son and then I kind of thought you know what other people might want to read this and so eventually found it found its way into the world it's absolutely amazing but also i i i've known known about you for years and i've been following your journey because it's so nice to see someone write a book about stammering who's got a close connection to the topics one of the reasons why i wanted to create this podcast was sharing with because my old ceo always has said this and, and it stuck for me saying that you know so if you want to tell a story tell it from a person where the story's coming from because they can tell it the best, but also they will be able to relate to it and they'll remember to it more. And I thought, you listen to like stammering podcasts, they may be from a medical perspective or they'll just be a general, but I wanted to be more authentic and go, I've got a stammer, so let's talk to people who stammer to hear their stories, but also talk to people who don't stammer. Like we had Sharon Gafka from Love Island on, who doesn't have a stammer, but she's really interested in the topic. But she's a prime example of someone 
who may not know what to do in the right situation with a stammer. So her her perspective is really interesting on the topic because she's not used to stammering every day like I am and like you are from a different perspective of being a parent, someone who has a stammer. And I've spoken to my mum about my stammer journey all the time, but also I spoke to her quite recently about it before this episode, hearing her perspectives. And how... Do you remember when your son first got di- sort of diagnosed with a stammer? And how old was he at the time, if you don't mind me asking? Um, he was at um he was at kind of preschool. Um and he was he's always been a real talker, like he never stops um talking. And so the we thought he was enthusiastic and he was tripping over his words and we just thought he had a lot to say and therefore it was it wasn't really clear uh, but i remember the one of the teachers one of the women who ran that playgroup preschool uh, said it you might it might be something this it might be a stammer it, it he might well grow out of it we've seen this a lot because obviously loads of kids stammer don't they when they're young and when they are you know, when they have, when their brains are working slightly faster um, than their mouths can keep up with. And so it is incredibly common. And she did think that, but she said, there's just something about it that makes me think that it might be um, a little bit different. And so, yeah, but it wasn't an issue at that point. Um, And it, and it kind of, we realized in at the start of school, that yeah, it wasn't seeming to go away, but it wasn't really seeming to become an issue either. It was just the way he spoke and that was fine and it didn't upset him. So it was kind of, you know, it was just, that's the way he was. Um, but then it was only slightly later on where he started to realise, he started to get a bit frustrated by it. And I think when he got frustrated by it, then it kind of became a bit bigger and it got, you know, it gathered a bit of strength and a bit of power and, 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 then he wanted to do something about it. Um, So, yeah. And so it was, it was very young. He must've been about two and a half, I think. Wow. So it's very similar to when I, well, I, I didn't say my first word until I was around four or five. So I was very delayed. Um, And then someone said to my mum was like, I think it's worth you going to see a a specialist about your son's speech because normally we would expect sometimes we do get this but we do expect because my stammer was very very severe when I was younger and uh, and I mean as I said to you before we started recording I went speech therapy for the first 10 years of my life every single week and what I found really interesting when I was reading the boy who made everyone laugh there were those three bits of speech therapy that he mentioned and they were the exact same three bits of speech therapy that I got taught. And I people on the, on my flight must have thought that I had something had happened to me because my shock <laughs> was huge. That the person that the cabin crew came over to me and was like, Oh, are you okay? It was like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> because I, I have I haven't heard slick the slide in years. And, oh, wow. and I can vividly remember at school, I used to have a, like, a little post-it note stuck off the slide, like stuck <laughs> to my board. And I hadn't thought about it for years, literally around 15, 20 years, until I had read the book. And I was like, 
Oh my, and because like, I had to slick the side of Buzzy B, like yeah. the B, and then. Oh, were they all know. called the smoothies? Yeah. They, is that what they were called? Like, yeah. Different, different characters. Like, slick yeah. side of, like had to skateboard. Softy, big softy. Yeah. Was one of them, wasn't he? Yeah. What did you, did you, did you think that they worked for you? Yeah, must be. Yeah. And I, I, to to extent now, I think that I now, without realising, still do like slick slide without even noticing it. Because yeah. it's my own brain, but it's really interesting to seeing how, because I've spoken to many different people with stammer and how every technique is different. Like some, and I'm quite fortunate how mine's just like a block stammer. So mine's not a prolonged stammer. So it's not like, like I'm fine with S's, but I know like some people find S's quite hard. And so it's really interesting hearing how a different techniques work, but also how the technique that I learned at the Michael Palin Center, which was the camp down method, where you get taught to speak really, really slowly. And then you speed it up over time to a point where you, you can use it in a setting. So they teach you to like speak like to really prolong the word and then you right. get quicker and quicker. But which I still use now, but literally I hadn't thought about um the Sid for years. <laughs> I wonder if they're still using it. I don't know if they're still using no, it. No, I I would love to know. Like they got a few what we'll do when we have so post on we will do a poll on on a Twitter to speech and language purpose and, and we'll see if it's still being used because I'd be really curious to know if they still use it. Yeah. Do you remember going was so what I love from the first one was how you talk about the mum going to the sessions with with Billy to the sessions. Did you were you sitting in with your son's speech therapy sessions or I mean, was a tea cake part of your experience? Was that part of your so so? so I was wondering, was was that a bit part of your because I we used to do a sim similar thing. Yes, it was. I'm not. I'm not that that imaginative. Most of my book is just stuff that really happened. I, I've realised that I've basically used all of my life now, and so I have to start making things up now, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, most most of the stuff in that first book, particularly, um, it, yeah, was based on on real things, and and me sitting there with an inane grin on my face in the corner of that room and that hot speech therapy room, um, and there was the the mirror that was a kind of two-way mirror thing. It was all, and the, yeah, yeah, the tea cake on the way home. It was all, it was all based on reality. Like, it's so interesting. How I was telling my manager, she was like, do you remember going to speech? I was like, oh, I I could, if uh, sadly the hospital where it was got burned down, so I've rebuilt it now. But I, but I said to her, I, I could guide you where from the car park to where that speech therapy room was. And, and, and I could still they've still pictured what that room exactly looks like and I and I've actually found online my first ever speech therapist who discovered my stammer and my goal is to get her to come on for a podcast because I found her was like my goal is to find who she is and I now know her name and now my goal is to try and get hold of her because I would absolutely love to hear her perspective on my stammer but also that speech therapy perspective and 
When you learn about your son's stammer, did you know anyone with a stammer beforehand? Um, so there is a comedian called Daniel Kitson, um, who you may have seen. Um, and he has a stammer. He's one of the funniest comedians that I've seen. He, and he's an amazing playwright as well. He does these kind of um, one-man shows. Uh, and he... I knew him through my husband. My husband does stand-up comedy. And so I knew him and I'd met him a few times. Um, but I'd never... I, well, my Lenny, my son, Lenny, his granddad stammered when he was young. Um, and but But then that, you know, he either found ways of dealing with it or it, you know, but he doesn't stammer now, but he stammered when he was a teenager. So I think there, there's often a family link, isn't there? So that that's yeah. where the family link was. But I didn't know anybody really closely. Um, so yeah, it was, but I have chatted to Daniel Kitson about it, um, you know, since when, when I've seen him since, but yeah, nobody that closely. What I love about the subject is that you either have someone who has a brother or like a cousin or a friend who has a stomach or you don't know a single person. Like it's either from one extreme, like you go really close connection. And like one one guess I had, he's a twin and both are twin. What I didn't realise was that twins have their own language. They may grow up and they have their own. And then one of them, they both have a stammer. Both twins have a stammer, but one is way more severe than the other twin. It's right. I found really interesting. That is really interesting. But also what I find, like Ed Bulls, he's come on to the podcast and like he didn't realise, like, so he spoke about his stammer. He didn't realise like, he had one until he was 40. And his dad rang him, he was in, in his 70s, and said, you've got what I've got and I'm 70 and I've only just realised that I've had a stammer my whole life. Because oh, he wow. had no idea what it was until Ed, because his speech therapist said to him, you need to go public about your stammer because you'll feel way more relieved talking in like the commons and, and in Downing Street mm. because it will give you that self-peace sort of when when you get like lobbied for like your stammer or like you know it's actually something and it's not just them lobbying at you and it may be but you got your stammer and he said the, yeah, the relief that I had when I went but also he had so many people reach out to him like I, I had no idea that he had a stammer and then Charlotte Tobin who helps me with some of my PR despite her being in PR like media I was the first person who she's ever come across with a stammer so despite working in, in I, the industry she said you're the first person who I've ever come across with a stammer which I couldn't believe because I, I was like surely you've come across some people like and and she's like, no, you're the first person who I've come across, which I find really interesting. How like you have some people, like I said, and when I did my TEDx, my first thing was, can everyone stand up? Stay standing if you know someone with a stammer, and if you don't, sit down. Majority of the room sat down. There were still a few people. When I said stay standing, if you yourself have a stammer, because one in one hundred people have a stammer so if I'm correct there's 200 people here and I should at least be two of you standing and two people are still standing oh really and then when, when I did my live event I had four people still standing at the event when I did the same thing and it was really interesting how 
the but also it gave people that confidence because I wanted it to do it to give people that confidence of standing up saying I've got a stammer and everyone just sort of smiled when it happened no one turned around and looked to see who it was everyone just stood up and when I said right you can all sit down because I think there's 75 million people in the world have a stammer and 1.5 million people in the UK alone which is just fascinating but one one question I would love to ask you is what have you learned about stammering from your son and do you see it differently now since writing a book um yeah I writing the book um was really really important and special and made me far more obviously I felt a lot of you know I felt his frustration and his sadness when things weren't working out and as you do as a mother you do whatever your child is going through you feel it with them however writing the book allowed me to look at it in less of a reactive way because I was I wasn't doing it you know if he was coming home and telling me something that had gone on it wasn't just me feeling motherly feelings of you know I'm feeling his pain but I was looking at it in in a lot more of a in more depth I guess and looking at it in kind of um with a slight more distance because Billy Plimpton isn't Lenny, like he's a different character. It was based, it was yeah. inspired by him, but he, he took on his own character. And so in doing that, it allowed me to have a little bit of distance and to look at this and, and how, you know, really how this would play out and how it would make you feel. And I just, yeah, it just, you gain way more empathy when, yeah. when you, when you really, go into something like that in that much depth I just had way more empathy and Lenny felt hugely um seen and heard and I would read it out to him every day every time every chapter that I wrote I read it out to him because obviously I needed him to let me know if I was on the right path if I if it, if it made sense to him or if if there were bits that he was like no that's not what it really feels like or no that's not how it is or whatever then obviously I needed um to hear that but that process of me reading it to him and him um to being able to talk about that and say you know that is exact how did you know that is exactly what it feels like you know and it and it was incredible it was one incredibly bonding wonderful yeah. precious thing that we've that we've managed to have and at the time obviously now he's like 15 years old and you know playing his drums in his bedroom and just grunting at me. And so it's slightly different. But at the time, he was this gorgeous 10-year-old. And we had this kind of... And he was he was really... He felt... He kept... It was really funny, actually. He kept buying me presents with his pocket money. And Aww. I was like, why, why do you keep buying me things? And he couldn't really articulate. He couldn't... He didn't know why he was doing it. But I think it was because... One, and that was when we'd found out that the book was going to be published. And I think that blew his mind. Yeah. That story about a stammerer that was inspired by him was not just something for me and him that actually other people were interested in this. Just really, really blew his mind. Well, I think that's the key thing about like stammering is that it can feel from a very personal perspective of that it, it can feel very self-isolating because you feel like you are the only person going through this thing like you may know 50 different people who's done that and, and you can talk to them about your staring experiences but 
you can't put it to words how it feels if you have a bad staring day or if you've had a bad staring moment because no one can relate to because you can say oh I stammered really badly during that meeting I feel really embarrassed and when people go oh don't worry so I stammer meetings all the time but it's not that same like thought process it's like we if we have a bad stammer moment we will re- it's hard for us to erase that moment because the next time we do that we will be thinking about that moment over and over and over again and what I had a few months ago was that we were doing our team meeting fine because I had prepped myself about it and I had prepared my slides so I knew that I was safe stammer safe on that presentation and then when the meeting started someone messaged me on teams it's like oh is this person's birthday as well can you men- can you say their name as well and that name, I knew that I would stammer on straight away. So that whole meeting before my slide, I could not tell you what they were talking about because my brain was just repeating that word, how to say it with yeah. a stammer. And like, you can't explain that to anyone else. Like, yeah. Because you can say a name to someone and they go, yeah, it's blah, blah, blah. And I'm able to think, yeah, that's fine. But you have to act like it is okay because you're like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But it's... Because I think that's why I could relate to the book so much. Because like you can tell it's how that stammer input, like input from someone with it. Because I think one of the things why I do what I want to do is that I want to be a role model to people who stammer, but an everyday role model. Because sadly, we're stammering. All our role models are in the past, like Mar- Marilyn Monroe, King George. Like there's no current well-known. Well, apart from the amazing Jesse Endel, there's no current everyday stammering role model, which I think is key, especially in the day and age now, like social media and everything. Because I'm like, if I can talk to the BBC News with a stammer, you can do your team presentation. If I can do this with a stammer, so can you. And I, I think it's that you sort of have to hear someone else's perspective to feel like you can be accepted yourself like i think that's one of the key things about podcasts is that i want you to talk to a whole variation of guests like if it's if someone with a stammer is a mp like ed bulls or if someone with a stammer is a scientist let's say or if someone with a stammer is a comedian because if that person can be that scientist so can i if they work for a if they're a doctor with a stammer and i want to be a doctor with a stammer but i'm scared but they are so can i like is that whole acceptingness in yourself like you have to accept your stammer before you think about because we always think about will they accept it before we accept it ourselves which i think is a really different perspective to get to get across did your son teach you how to stammer because i've been teaching lots of people who don't stammer how to stammer did he teach you that or did he teach you how to stammer did he teach me how to yeah. stammer? Um, in what sense? In it, how how would you go about teaching people to stammer? It's really interesting because I, I was doing it to at the live event. So I did a video of Sharon and I said, I'm going to teach you how, how to stammer. And you may think, oh, this is fine. So I said, Hi, welcome to Stammer Stories Live. My name is Sharon Gafka, but really prolong. So if you go, Hi, my na- na- name is Sh- Sh- Sharon Gafka. I'm mean, just really prolong it. And she did it. And when I said, how did that make you feel? She was like, 
I felt frustrated because I couldn't get my words out. And and it was, and then when I said, right, this is your next sentence, you're going to in you're going to in introduce our video. And while she was prepping, she actually stammered before she was like, I'm now stammering before I'm actually meant to stammer. And it was interesting. She said, No, I know what it's like because you feel that frustration where you want to get your words out, but I can't because I feel that blockage and that restriction. Yeah. And then, and then it's absolutely right. Once you've, because obviously when I read the book out in schools, there's a lot of stammers in the book, obviously. And so reading it has been quite an interesting thing because you do get to, when you're doing it, when I'm reading it, I'm really aware of trying to, trying to do it in as, as, you know, realistic and believable a way as I can. Um, but you're aware that the kids yeah. are there waiting for you yeah. and you get all of those feelings that you yeah. you know and then but then it's really interesting what you say because then afterwards I stammer I'm not a stammerer but I stammer more when yeah. I'm talking about this book in those school visits that I do after I've read and after I've been Billy Plimpton I then notice my stammers way 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 more because it's it's in my head and yeah. and then I I hear it when I do get stuck and then I think about it more and then it, and you, yeah. you can see how it would feed itself really quite, it's quite a clear picture of how that would, yeah, how that would get into your head. And yeah, I can imagine with certain words, if there are certain words that, yeah, if you get sent those words to say and you're like, oh no, not that, that's gonna, you know, I know, I know what's coming. Yeah, but what's really like, but when I've said it to a few people and I said, say this sentence, but think about every word you know you're going to say for two milliseconds beforehand. So you just take a break before every word, but you know what you're going to say. So don't change what words you're going to say, just say it, but think about it for around two seconds beforehand. That can give you a gauge of just what it's like to stammer on one word. And and, and everyone can't believe it, but I... I share this story every single episode, but I love it. So it's Sabrina, who's, she has a stammer, and then she's from Italy. And she stammers, and her husband is Australian. She stammers really badly when she speaks Italian, but she doesn't stammer at all when she speaks English. And so in lockdown, when they were doing homeschooling, the bilingual, because they're doing it in both languages, she said... I would be really confusing myself because I, I would be in Italian stammering really badly. And then when I speak English, I don't stammer at all. But also she's now a speech and language therapist, but she said, because I'm a mum who has a stammer, will I be passing this on to my children? And like, because she was having that perspective of thinking, it is genetic. It can be genetic. Will I be passing on? So that's why she's speech and language because she wants to help people that she may that she may not have had in the first place. But how interesting is that? That she's damaged in, in her mother tongue, but not in her well, second language. It's really interesting. So my I had there was a chapter in the first book that ended up having to be edited out. Oh, really? um, yeah, about I think it was edited out really early on because it was quite it it was going to end up being quite a big strand and it, we couldn't quite fit it into how the how the plot, but it was Billy going on holiday 
to, gosh, I'm trying to dredge my memory bank now of this story, but he of going to France and he realized he didn't stammer in French. Um, and so he was just like, well, I just need to become French then. I can't just have to speak in French. That's the answer. Um, but yeah, and it was, um, and I really liked it because, because Lenny never stammered in when he spoke French he started learning French at school and he was like I don't stammer when I speak French um so it must be it must be a thing well and it's a similar thing isn't it with singers yeah they speak and they don't with singing so there must be lots of those it, things that kind of the, the brain is little a little pathway just to kind of reroutes the the speech doesn't it so it yeah. kind of skips that bit Thing, 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 the hardest thing to explain and it really confuses people when people say to me do you stammer when you're by yourself and I go no and they're like what do you mean by you don't stammer by yourself so I, and no I, I can say the hardest words and I can say them fluently but if I said it in a sentence or in a conversation I'll stammer really badly and they're like but when I lip sync if I ever lip sync I don't stammer at all and that really confusing yourself what if you were recording oh. yourself or if you were talking to yourself in the mirror oh that's a nightmare like i so i've had to do self-tapes like i yeah. for my tedx I, I had to do a three-minute video and if you give some with a stammer a time limit of how long to do a video and you know it's just not going to work and literally i the amount of memes that i made out of myself by reading this thing because i had prayer what i was going to say and I think it literally took me 20 attempts because the moment I started stammering, I I would go, nah, nah, like could not do it in one take. And the moment I would get close to one take, <coughs> I'd be like, no, I can't do this. And literally there are the amount of mean materials that I have of me trying to self-tape because I, A, I'm a stammer. And the thing that I found really hard, a really odd brain battle was if I'm doing a press interview or like I'm talking to students about my stammer, when I write my speech, my brain will automatically try and change my words because it knows that I'll stammer on those words. But I'm like, no, I need to keep those in because I need stammer. Because I'm like, the week before my TEDx, I was speaking very fluently. I was like, to my manager, I was like, I am really scared that I'm going to be talking about my stammer, but I won't stammer. She's like, you wait till you talk in front of 200 people and you'll be absolutely fine. And literally stammered straight away. It was like, but, it's, but it was a battle. When you want to stammer, that's when you're most fluent. And it's like, when when you don't want to stammer, it's like when your stammers feel worse. It was hilarious with um, Lenny because... I mean, his stammer really does come and go quite a lot and, and can be, you know, not noticeable for really quite long stretches of time. And um, when we were asked to do interviews together and he was asked whether he wanted to do interviews and he was like, yeah, 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 I'd love to. And he didn't stammer in these interviews. And afterwards, we were just like, we just felt like total frauds. Like we yeah, just yeah. it up. And he's like, I'm, oh, mum, I'm really sorry I didn't stammer. I was like, don't be silly. We got it. We can't be faking stammers yeah. to try and prove ourselves. But it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And then, and his stammer went after the book was released. Actually, his stammer went away for longer than it had ever. Like really? it was just not around for ages and I was like oh for so long that we were a bit like oh maybe that's maybe that's it <laughs> maybe yeah. and then it's obviously either. every now and again it it pops up you go oh there we go it's it's not you know 
but oh. it's really interesting. It's really, and you could see people's fake journalists and people going, oh, oh well, you're speaking quite fluently now. Yeah. But I, I, so I had one when I was doing BBC Radio. So because it was more like a radio piece that they were doing, like a social media piece, and they came and recorded me and they said, right, we're just going to say to you a few words for you to stammer. I was like, great. And they're like, what words do you really struggle with? It's like, hello. And like, they gave me some horrendous words to say, said them perfectly. Was <laughs> I and when you and when I said it was like, I'm really sorry, I'm never normally this fluent on like these type of words, was I and but sometimes like I so I've read like feedback or like comments from like if I've done like a TV interview and like what people have said for like, oh clearly his speech therapy has worked because he's not sorry, and, and and like I say, that's a very good point because I wouldn't and but like there was then I did GB news for like a national friendship week. They so I was sat next to Eamon Holmes when it was Isabel Webster to the right. And I and he said to me afterwards like that was fascinating to watch you because I, I could see you process your speech and he said, We get taught what to look out for. And he said, We could see your thought process of your stammering techniques in your head. Which I was really interested about because he was like, was like, it was fascinating watching you speak because I could see your brain process your stammer words, and mm-hmm. but sometimes I've had meetings that I've been like, but for my best man, for my best friend's best man speech, I I thought the church poem would be fine, but the actual speech itself would be horrible because I that was in like a tent, the church, and everything I've stammered saying a speech so much in my. And then made me really nervous for doing the actual speech. And my first joke was, I just say, you know, I do have a stand, so hopefully we will be done before the bar closes. But don't, and then I didn't stammer once in the whole speech. <laughs> and, but it made me feel relaxed that I wasn't thinking about it. It's just really interesting. But this sort of leads me on to my next question. So I'd love to talk to you about you and your career. But can you imagine what? How different do you think your career would be if you yourself had a stammer? Oh well, my career would have been very different because before I did this, I was an actress, so that would have um, clearly impacted that. Um, and I think, I mean. Would I have had the perspective, if I stammered, would I have had the perspective to be able to write the book? It would be a very different book. If it, you know, it would have been an incredibly different book. I'm so, um, I feel so lucky to have been a, you know, to be, to have been able to witness Lenny's story and, um, and see him just, find his just find his way through it and get more and more confident and become who he is and and that's just it's just a really precious thing to have been able to kind of witness but I think if I'd have gone through it myself then it then it has all sorts of different um layers to it doesn't it that I don't know whether I would have had um the clarity to be able to turn it into a story because I think I think it is that slight distance from it that allowed me to be able to go, okay, I think there's a gap 
Um, he's Len's never read a story about anyone who stammers. Um, I think he would need. I think he needs to read a story about a character like him. So therefore, I'm going to write it. But I don't think if if it was my story, I think if I was living it, then I'm not sure I would have had that distance um, or perspective to be able to see it as a story and to be able to kind of take take things from our real experiences and Lenny's really real experiences, but then alter them to to make it work in a in a fictional yeah you know, story, which is you've got to. You can take things from real life, but then you do have to push them to make them more dramatic or to make them to to make them work or to make them sing or to make things happen that actually allow it, allow the story to give it all the ups and downs in the right places, which sometimes in real life, those ups and downs happen not in such a satisfying way as they do in fiction. So it would have, yeah, it would have been a it would have been probably a more complicated process, I think, if I'd have been trying to write it from from my own perspective. Plus, I guess it it would be harder for you to separate your sort of emotions, like because you like what I found like when I've done like, articles, it's hard for me to like because I could go into a very very deep deep hole about what it's actually like to understand what you sort of want to stop it where you need to stop it and like then jump from the perspective from the other party, and it's like it's harder to do that because like you think oh, if I share that much of a story, then that may give them the wrong message because I'm like, having a stammer is great, but it does have its moments, but then people may take it as, oh no, that poor boy, he seems to have been having a really tough time with a stammer. And it's like, no, but, well, we do have its moments, but that's not the overall perspective. But I guess it does, you sort of see life in a different way because growing up was there just a lot of fluent people, but now I've learned... So what is the definition of fluency? Like no one can define what the perfect fluent speaking voice is because like no one would know. And but it's harder getting that perspective of being a character because like you can add bits that you may want to, or there may be bits that I know that I would never disclose because it may upset close people, but I could disclose it as a character. Because yeah. it's easier to do it that way. Like it's having that gate of giving it to a character and not myself and not feeling that I am related to this character who I may have felt before, but I may not feel that way now, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely is. Yeah, but it's really, I think it's um, kind of, oh, well, I guess there are lots of, I don't know, but I imagine there are loads of kind of therapeutic techniques where putting your what you're going through in the lens of a, another character is is really really useful and I mean you know whenever I'm writing that's kind of loads of the stuff like I'm there writing like crying my eyes out like getting it all out there there's a there's a real therapeutic benefit in in turning some of your experiences into yeah gaining that perspective and and giving it to another character allows you to see it in a different way and I think it's I think generally it can be really useful obviously sometimes yeah you can go down a bit of a, a hole and go oh god <laughs> have I gone a bit too far um but yeah you gotta be careful about what you bring up but um but yeah I think it, it's a really interesting thing to look at you know like I, I have three different metrics when I do a speech if I see someone cry that's good but if I see them so if I see someone at shocked and then they cry and then they smile. 
I know that I've done a good speech because you've taken them through that journey, but also I've taken them through my journey with me. And when I was in my practice TEDx with a team and I said, um, and I said, if you do want to cry, let it all out because that's a good metric for me. Was I like, feel free to cry? Where was I? Like, there are tissues over there deliberately if you do want to cry. And and also like I, I saw my managing director cry and and she came up to me after she was like, oh my god, I had no idea, but I feel so inspired at the same time. I was like, I've never had such a speech with a journey as such before because you're taking them through my emotional because it is your voice like taking them someone through your journey like so many people have so many amazing journeys like, when it's your voice everyone can relate to having a voice and I think that's what catches people out is that you may make fun of our voice but you're making fun of someone's main key thing and, and, and you're stopping that person wanting to speak which no one should ever ever have in life which is mm. just sad but there's a lot to be done in the Southern community but we'll talk about that later but I would now just love to focus on your latest book The Finest Boy in, 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 in the World and that was a long crispy one Alexa Alexa stop for some reason so she thought, but, but I was saying Alexa make a fart sound, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> always on having a smart speaker when you stammer. <laughs> I've never had that before in any recording I've ever done, and that will be a, a cut that I'll make in this of episode. All the things that she thought you were trying to say, like Alexa's trying to finish your sentence for you, and that's what she comes up with. Yeah. <laughs> because she, she literally said that's a that's, that's a long and crispy one. I was like, and the moment that I heard saw her light was like, oh my god! So farting in, in the background. That's absolutely fantastic, and that might have to go in if I ever write another book of Billy Plimpton. Yeah. He might have to set Alexa off and make her fart yeah. <laughs> with one of his stammers. What a brilliant thing! <laughs> This is the perfect because this sums up Billy Plimpton being a comedian. Was like this shows about the funniest side of having a stammer, and actually, I am going to keep this in because it just shows what it's like to have a stammer, the true reality of having a stammer. Yeah, yes. and <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> and to our, to, to our listeners, back back to regular program, you've never had this on stammer stories before. <laughs> So, as I said, I would love to focus on your latest book, The Finest Boy in the World. And it sort of brings in because Billy goes viral with this with this viral star. And who knows, we could go viral. Me and me and you, Helen, could go viral. Yeah. With, with tonight, this... tonight. Everyone's gonna want to hear that. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, how where did did you ever pitch that you would be doing a sequel of the book? And how, when you first wrote it, did you think it would get reaction, the reaction that it would get when you first wrote the first book of the series? Um, obviously, I had hopes. Obviously, you sit there and daydream and go, oh, my God, wouldn't it be amazing if this and this and this? But but when it actually, you know, the, the it was so exciting to know to get people's responses and to get people getting in touch and 
And yeah, the amount of people who've read it is is way more than I could have dreamed, really. So, um, so I left when I um kind of left a few threads at the end of the story, knowing that if that they were there for yeah. me, if it was ever gonna happen, I could pick a couple of those things up. So yeah, the mum being pregnant, I could pick that up and that could carry on. And there were, you know, and those characters, I wasn't finished with those characters. I did want to see more from Skylar and I did want more from Blakemore. And I did, you know, Billy, obviously I could spend a never ending amount of time with Billy in my writing shed. I could write him over and over and over again because he's marvelous. So, um, but the characters felt like, yeah, there was more to be done, you know, with Mr. Osho and everybody, there was just more to be done. But it was definitely only bought as a standalone book. Like they said, and I said, would there be any chances of a sequel? And they were like, no, it's a standalone. And then it did really well. And obviously they were like, "Be, we could come back to it. When they when they see the chance of maybe selling a few more books, they're like, oh, maybe we could do a sequel. So um, so yeah, luckily they they came back and said, yeah, let's we're going to go back to Billy. And it was just brilliant. And actually... There was a little bit of nerves about it because writing a sequel is a little, is quite, it, it's nerve-wracking. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of pressure. People people have got expectations and they've got ideas of what they want from these characters all of a sudden. Um, and so you don't want to let people down. And there's obviously that thing of, oh, well, it wasn't as good as the first, which is a horror. You, you never want reviews right. to come out saying, well, it's just not as good. So it was, but once I'd got out of my head, and, and moved on from that and just gone, no, it's possible to write a, de- a decent sequel. I just need to just get into my shed, get back with these characters and see what they want to do. And once I'd got the plot, it had to be a bit more plot driven, this one, yeah. rather than character driven, because we'd already been, you know, deep in, in Billy Plimpton's head. And so I think I needed a bit more plot. And so once I'd got that, they, I just absolutely loved writing it. It was so good to be back with them. Can I just say, you nailed the other characters perfectly. And I think you really nailed the the, char- the characteristics of A, sort of a shy friend who you're sort of afraid to go out to, aka Skylar, like you're sort of afraid to like reach out because you don't know what they're thinking. They're quite hard to read, but deep down they are your closest. They will be your closest friend. But also Blakemore, I had... I was like, me and Blakemore, but I didn't get along very well now. It was like, but you've nailed his, what he would, what a typical stammering bully would do in a nutshell, because he would be doing those things, exactly, which I think lots of people think that the stammering community stereotypicalize what would happen when bullies, bullies on foot. I've witnessed it, you've witnessed it. They actually happen, like I think this is the one topic that doesn't get over exaggerated about what happens if you get bullied with a stammer. Like we've all witnessed it. Like we've all seen someone with a stammer get mimicked. If it's in like a comedy, like or like I have this thing that if I I see on TikTok or like Instagram reels, if a meme starts with a helicopter, I know instantly that the next bit would be someone stammering, and I just know at that instant video. And I instantly report it, saying this is not okay. And they all go, oh, there's nothing wrong with this video. 
And like I think there needs to be more awareness about that aspect of sound, but also when you bully someone with their voice, about their voice, especially at such a young age, you're stopping that child or teenager wanting to speak. And like we all know how creative kids and teenagers, maybe not teenagers, they just grunt, but like kids have that idea, like those crazy ideas and like, but a kid with a stammer is afraid to share that idea because they don't know how it's going to be portrayed. Were those characters based off Lenny's experiences in school? Or like, did you have to think about like Skyler, what Skyler would be like? Or like, what Blakemore would be like? Were those real life characters in Lenny's life? Or were they characters that you had slight sort of connections about, but you, you, made, you helped build those characters grow? Yeah, so a bit of a bit of both, really. They um, again, so kind of it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. I grab bits of characters from all over the place and then imagine them in the same and add, you know, and create a kind of version, maybe using different pieces of lots of different um, kids or characters I've met and and turn them into one person. And I mean, I think that some of the stuff. Some of the stuff that uh, that Billy went through was pretty direct takes from what Lenny, you know, is it, is tricky because what because Lenny's experience was not as extreme as Billy Plimpton. It, it just wasn't as extreme, um, and and so it, I I pushed it dramatically for the story, you know. However, he did come home and say somebody had got him in the toilet and made him say stuff, and it's like as much as and and however well he. And he's always been incredible at, at dealing with those things. And he never, the, the key difference, I think, in Billy and Lenny is that Lenny never was silenced. He never stopped talking. And that was my biggest fear. The reason that Billy Plimpton stops talking in the book is because that was always my biggest fear. If he stops raising his hand, if he stops talking, if he retreats and, and you know, then that would have really broken my heart. And so I think that that's why I explored that in the book is because that's what we, that was what I was fearing the most. Um, luckily it didn't happen. And luckily he is still, you know, he is still a massive chatterbox. So, um, so I think that there's a mixture of, of those, those things that do happen, that did happen with him. But then I take those things and go, right, what if, it wasn't Lenny dealing with it in the way that he did. What if Billy, you know, really deals with it in a very different way? And what if it's more extreme? And what if it gets worse? And what if, and what if, and that's all you're doing when you're writing stories um, is saying, what if? What yeah. if this, you know, take this scenario and then what if? And so it was all, even though it's based on truths here and there that are taken from different parts of Lenny's life or whatever, or, or things um that we've talked about then I use them and and add them into the story and you know and then go and take them further yeah and but but I think it's so true because I think you sort of want, want to explore the and I guess in like a story you want to showcase the situations that you like the latter situation that you don't want to happen but they do happen because you want to teach people to know about what it's like in those hardest situations but uh, as we both said from this episode, Billy, Le Billy Pimpton is a legend. Like, he's just 
so inspiring and I think he's had so many things that you go and you read him and you think go on Billy you can do it so there's so many bits of, like you feel lot like you're Billy's like team you're like go on Billy you can do this don't listen to Blake Moore talk to Skylar you can do it. like there's so much like you feel so inspired what's your favorite chapter about Billy's journey in both books what's your favorite chapter about Billy well the chapter in the first book um the first book went through a lot of different incarnations it it took a lot of editing and it changed massively during the like it was in, unrecognizable oh, really? it, it, yeah in the first draft because I didn't know how to write basically so in in the first draft it ended um you know the scene where he's holding up the signs and it's the first scene where he tells people that he has a stammer albeit written down on signs that's the scene that I like to read um to kids in schools I read I read a little bit from a different part that is funny and makes them laugh and then I read that bit and you can feel the room really go oh and go you know and really kind of really empathize with him and I think that scene felt really important it's a really important moment in the book it's a real shift where he actually goes no this is who I am and I'm gonna tell everybody and that this is the kind of catalyst for him being able to yes yeah, start saying things to Skylar and start finding those friendships that would become so important and all of those things so that's a really special scene and then obviously at the end of the book in the um talent show I mean yeah. that was a joy to write it was an absolute joy it felt like there was a soundtrack playing in the background as I was writing you could imagine it their tears I could just it was literally like I was there it was it felt incredibly vivid and visual um in the second book gosh that's an interesting question it takes me a while actually I don't know whether I'm quite there yet to know um I think one of the most powerful one of the scenes that affected me the most when I wrote it because it surprised me sometimes when you're writing you don't know what's going to come and when it comes you're like where did that come from I do not know where that came from and it kind of it's like you're reading it for the first time as you're writing it and it's quite um it's what that's the bit of right that's why I like writing because it's like I'm just I'm just the fingers on the keys this is nothing to do with me this is coming from somewhere else yeah. and the scene that did that was when uh when Leo Leo Leggett first holds Bill holds Billy and manipulates him physically. Um, like that just shocked me so much that I, I was like, oh my God, am I a monster? How have I come up with that horrific, horrific piece of bullying? I don't know where that came from. Um, but yeah, that felt quite like yeah quite a strong quite a powerful scene I guess um but I'm gonna come up with more because I'm only just starting to promote this book so I'm gonna read it and read different bits out loud and that's when it starts to settle with me actually it takes a long time but in the writing of it that scene felt quite powerful and I think the thing that I love the most is that how every chapter you feel every emotion in every chapter so you have the, the ups you have the downs you got the middle emotions, but you can just really feel his perspective. And I think that's such a key aspect of the book of both books is that you feel like you are Billy when you read it. And I think you really feel like you can relate. E e even if you don't have a stammer, 
you feel like you can relate to every situation because everyone gets bullied in school in somewhat everyone has their talent that they want to showcase but they are scared to do it everyone wants to go viral but when we go viral they are scared of like they have that feeling of like maybe it's not for me maybe this is not what i expected it to be like people think me like the is glam and like back-to-back tv studios but actually there is a lot of heartbreak in tv because you may get a call like yeah we want you we, we want you to be interviewed and then 15 minutes before him, they go, oh, no, you've decided not to do your story. And and you take it personally because you think about me. You're saying no to me. But actually, it's not because of that. They've got other reasons. But it's like you take it personally. And I think like everyone can relate to that having their first exciting moment. Like if it's getting to showcase their story, like going on to their favourite show. Or like we we all have our moments that we all feel like we've done that tick box. And you're like, oh, my God, you've actually done it. And this leads me on to my next question perfectly. And, and I did not mean to do it so smoothly either. <laughs> there are so many Billy Plimptons out there who want to bring out their inner comedians or true selves at school or work. What advice would you give them? Oh, gosh. I'm, 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 I find it hard, the word advice, because I mean, I know I am getting on a bit. I am a bit old, so I should have advice, shouldn't I, for people? At this age, at this ripe old age, I should have some wisdom. <laughs> um, so my, I tell you what, the piece of advice, when people ask me about advice for writing, this is what I say. And I think that this is not only good advice for writing, it's good advice for life as well. So when people say, what should I do if I, you know, about writing stories, I say, don't get it right, get it written. And that piece of advice, I think, extends to every element of your life. You're never going to be able to do anything perfectly. You're never going to be able to, if you wait until the moment where you think you've got it nailed or you've got it perfect or you can do something, you know, really well, then you're going to be waiting a really, really long time. And so I think that the thing is just try things, just do things. And if you get it wrong, then that's just another step on the way to getting it right. And so just put yourself out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. Nothing does. And so just keep trying things and keep on um, doing something. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know exactly what it is you want to do, then do something and then you might figure it out along the way. And you can make the things that you are doing, you can work on them and you can try it again and make it better and, and work on things. But yeah, don't put it off. Yeah, I absolutely love that. But it's so true. Like, don't don't put off your dreams because you're you're scared of what other people think. Or the worst one is when don't put off your dreams where you don't believe in yourself that you can actually do it. Because when when we all put our heads towards something, we can all do it. Like we all know that we are all capable of doing what we can dream of. So why don't you get going and just do it and uh, and just believe in yourself? Because I think that's one thing. Like, just write it down. Talk to other people to get their perspectives. Because I may have a great idea for a podcast, someone, and then I may talk to a friend and they go, no, but one interesting angle that you could do is do it that way. And then I think, why do you not think that in the first place? Like you, the people who are around you, they, they are there to help you, not to sort of grunt or, or to basically go, no, you shouldn't do that. Like, they want to inspire you to do your dreams. Like if you go, right, I've got this perfect idea, they'll go, love it but maybe let's change it slightly so you're giving this perspective and, and i think why didn't we think of that yeah 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 it's it's really important isn't it getting 
you're surrounding yourself with people that you can explore ideas with and talk to and and yeah be inspired by is is a massive part of of achieving anything yeah and I think that's just the key just go out there just push yourself like what is holding you back and my new motto in life is in with anything is give yourself a reason to say no then give yourself a reason to say yes because most of the time your reasons to say no will be rubbish and I mean just end up being yes because we all tell ourselves oh no maybe I shouldn't do it and it's like why won't you be doing that and it's like oh I got my favorite show or, or my new favorite Netflix and, and then it's like no what what would you be doing if you didn't and how much this can help you so I think that's the main thing is give yourself a reason to say no for doing something give yourself a reason to say yes because most likely you'll be doing it more if you'll give yourself a reason to say yes because you won't because in in the spine because it will make you think if you give yourself a reason to say no no if we told ourselves a reason to say no about lots of things we would think no that's a bad reason like so someone else told you that was a reason why they're not doing something. You go, oh, don't be so stupid. You can do it. Come on. And yeah. This is a question that I ask all my guests, and I don't give you notice on beforehand. When you think of someone who, someone famous who stammers, who do you think of and why? Oh, I don't know why the first person that popped into my head was Ed Sheeran, but that's not necessarily yeah. the first person I think of all all the time. If you asked me that in a half an hour, I'd say somebody else. Um, but I don't. But the first person that I would think of would be my son. <laughs> I would hope over Ed Sheeran. <laughs> so I don't know why he popped into my brain. <laughs> but yes. But yeah, ask me tomorrow, and it'd be it might be you. So my brain is busy, and there's many many yeah. things in there. <laughs> oh. When he did that, did that CBV's a bedtime story. That was absolutely incredible. That he did that, and, and I've never had so many people reach out to me after that. So many people send me that link saying, "Oh, have you seen that? Did you get people sending sending you the link to a CBV's bedtime story?" And be like, "Oh my God, have you seen this? Ed Sheeran has this?" I was like, "Yeah, no, that's old news." I was like, "Who's had a stammer?" It was like, "Did you know that? No, Marilyn Monroe has a stammer." Yeah and, yeah, and her famous breathy tones are yeah. her coping mechanisms. It's, and I always have a story story about Rowan Atkinson, how he's had yeah. a story, and I've asked how Mr Bean, Bean came to be. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? What a brilliant creative route to create that character. All, yeah. all I mean, it's just brilliant. And I think when people learn that aspect, it makes so much sense at the same time. Like when you, because didn't one of his Black Adder characters have a stammer? Yes, I think he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or he had, he had a very specific way of speaking, didn't he? That I don't know whether you would record. I don't know whether people would record have recognised it as a stammer, but it was it was because of his stammer that he had that way of. Yeah. Uh, that, that character had that way of speaking, wasn't it? Yeah. You really, really see him. Do apart from um, what, what what was his action film series? Um, oh yeah, no, I never really saw that. The one where he was that funny spy. Yeah, I never really saw that one. But he, but I guess he was talking in in that. But you don't really see him do that many media in like press interviews, do you? Unlike Stormzy, he has a stammer, and you rarely see him do a media interview, do you? Like you never see him do a media packet because of. Well, it makes you think maybe it's because of his his stammer. But now it's time to bring back down to the and 
I would love to. So as we all know, the stigma around stammering isn't the best. As you've written perfectly in, in both books, and we both know it, the awareness needs to be spoken about. And what are your thoughts on, on, on the stammering stigma now in 2023? 2020, 2020, I know you said 2022, but it's 23. What's your current thoughts on, and where do you think the stigma could be within the next few months? Do you think that we have a chance to change the stigma? Yeah, I do. I feel really, I do. I feel really, really hopeful. I just, I chatted to, um, I was on the radio the other day and there was a guy there who um, stammers and he is presenting a radio show and he was saying, he was chatting about it and and saying, you know, just talking about the ups and downs of that, of being a presenter on a radio show. And um, and I just thought that was, I, I was like, this is, I, I don't think that I would be talking to you about you having your own radio show on the BBC um, five or 10 years ago. I just don't think that would have been a thing. And because he's there, there's loads of stuff in on in the station and, and about stammering and the, the, clearly the awareness is being raised there and what you're doing, the awareness is being raised here. And, you know, and the popularity of my book is clear that people are interested and people want to find out about it. And, and actually through all of these kind of things and because of social media and, uh, you know, and I think there's loads of people doing stuff. And I think that actually it is, it's just that thing of if people, if people don't know that it's what they're hearing, then they then they can't access any information about it. They can't have any empathy. They can't have any understanding. They can't ask any questions if they don't know that's what it is. So I think the more we talk about it and the more people hear people with stammers, so they go, oh, that's a stammer. Like, yeah. I just think that there are so many stammers that people wouldn't even clock that yeah. that's what it is. And so I just think it's really important to hear different ways of speaking and just to go... Oh, right. Yeah, there's loads of different ways of speaking. And that's just one of them. I absolutely love that because I can definitely relate to what you said about how we wouldn't. And I did a, a radio for piece of Michael Rosen called Word of Mouth. And he started he starts every podcast episode. And then it was Ed on Radio 4. And then the response from it was amazing. Like I had someone who was in her... 50s and when she reached out to me she said I've I'm, I'm in my 50s and I've never spoke, spoken about my stammer until I heard you on radio 4 talking about your stammer because I've never felt comfortable but as I've heard it on a big radio station and so I'm being, being as open as you are it's made me come forward and talk about it and, and I said you do not realize how much that means to me and he actually started the episode with a quote from Shakespeare and he had written a character someone with a stammer and the stigma of how he writes about a stammer could word for word nearly be the way how people see Billy Plimpton's stammer and it's spooky how that's how much the stigma has stayed plateaued for so many years because and but when you talk about it people are so interested about it so why isn't it spoken about more and I think there's so many areas, like we are great now in society, talking about di disability, about all areas of the spectrum. Like you don't just assume that someone who's disabled will be in a wheelchair. You don't assume that now, because we assume that being, being, being disabled can mean so many different things. But when you think someone with a stammer, you expect someone like the King's Speech 
or like mushy from educating Yorkshire. Like yeah. you expect the stammer to be severe. So like, you shock people if you say they have a stammer when actually your stammer's not that severe because it's people don't hear it or they don't expect it. And, and I think, and then it sort of confuses people with how they should help because they, they think, should I help them? And they're like, no, 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 no. Never help us. That's one egg. If you have a little seven big seven, never finish our sen- sentences. I think it's just a really interesting how like the spectrum is, the stammering spectrum is massive, but people still see it as that big. And I think we need to talk about it. Every journalist I've spoken to, they've gone, wow, this is so interesting. Why haven't we spoken about this before? And when I was sharing my story during the pandemic, so many people, so many journalists at big, big news companies were like, why didn't we cover this earlier before? And it's like, you tell me that. Why is Darren not on your radar for a topic? Because, and one journalist was like, this is off record, but I'd love to know, how was it with face masks? And I said, it was tough because I don't look like I'm mask exempt because I'm not disabled, but also because I don't stammer as much, I also don't feel personally like I warrant one of the sunflower label like lanyards. And I think if I have a son, I, 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 I could prevent more bullying than my stammer if I wasn't wearing a mask than if I was wearing a mask. And like if I was wearing one in like an everyday if my job was in like a supermarket, then I would, because it would help me massively. But the amount of that I just got taken to a wrong place in a supermarket, and it's just like, but I just accepted it because people can't see our stammer. Like mine, I'm not sure about what your son's like, mine can be quite a physical stammer. Mm. So like, you can't see. So people go, oh. And like, there's one situation, and I know to a listeners, I say this all the time, but. I was at Baker Street Tube Station a few years ago. And if you know Baker Street Tube Station, there's a dozen platforms going in all different directions. And I rarely asked for help, but I was running late for my meeting. I asked her, and he just said, go over there. So I was like, great, okay. Went back, couldn't find it. So I was very British, being like, I'm so sorry, I'm quite confused. What do you, what platform do you mean? I'm, I'm running every meeting. And he said, as I told you the first time, you need to cross the concourse to platform one to go to platform two. And, and now, please, can you F off? Oh, and good. he rolled his eyes when I stammered vividly. There other people around. No one came up to me after. And TFL did nothing about the claim. I tried to complain. And they said, I gave him exact timings. And they said, sorry, but they didn't even refund my ticket. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, that. This is, I mean, when I, it's tricky, isn't it? Because when I say, you know, I'm hopeful about all of these, all of these brilliant things that are being done, actually, then of course, you've got everyday stories that are just day to day people mimicking you and, or, or, you know, rolling their eyes or being frustrated. These, these, like they're kind of like just aggressions, like microaggressions all day long that are happening to people that are that are that nobody's going to do anything about, and nobody's even going to know that they're doing it. That's the thing. I think a lot yeah. of the time, what I found really shocking, um, when when Lenny Stammer was at its strongest, um, was that 
people would respond to him, adults would respond to him in these ways and copy what he was saying. And they weren't meaning it. They weren't being out and out bullies. They weren't kind of like, they wouldn't have said that they were doing anything wrong. And if you'd have pulled them up on it, they would have just been, they wouldn't have even known that they'd done it. They would yeah. literally, it was just an impulsive response. And those things are the most shocking, aren't they? Yeah. That That actually, how do you, deal with something that people don't even notice that they're doing they don't notice that they're rolling their eyes or that they're giving off vibes of frustration or that they're being impatient in any way or that they're you know or that they're finishing your sentence it's really it's a really complex thing to find a route into to kind of show people no no this is this is what people do and this is people's kind of natural instinct and that's not okay like we need to change people's instincts about how they respond and how we grow patience in general about everything not just about stammering just we need yeah. to be a more patient um human beings don't we yeah because my thing is why would you tell a human to hurry up in a sentence when you wouldn't tell someone to when, when you wouldn't tell a granny to hurry up crossing the road yeah and it's like the same sort of process was like but why do you think it's okay to was like, what is your time pressure? Was like, what are you going to do with these extra two milliseconds when we stammer? And you're like, like, you can't make a cup of tea. You can't, like, you can barely take a footstep in 0.2 seconds. So what are you going to do with this time of rolling your eyes? Like, but, yeah. but actually what people don't realise is that if people roll their eyes or like do, I, I will purposely stammer more in a conversation because I know that I can see it just to make a point that I will stammer more if, if someone's picked it up in a rude way, I will stammer more to make them be there longer in the conversation because I'm like, you don't know what I go through, so I'm going to make you be there longer and so you can experience what I experience every day, nearly in every sentence. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like when somebody's driving really close and you just slow down instead of speed yeah. up. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's just like, don't don't put pressure on me. Like, yeah. it's just not helpful for anybody, is it? But yeah, I think I think that it's both, isn't it? It's realizing that that is what people are going through and, and have to deal with, but it's also holding on to some hope that there is, there is the opportunity for, you know, if that guy who's working in that train station um, sees somebody presenting on TV with a stammer or see, hears somebody on the radio or, or whatever, if it becomes, then, there's a chance, isn't there, that it'll yeah. go, oh, and next time you might go, oh, that bloke's got a stammer like that fella on the telly ad yeah. or whatever. And it's just hopefully those little seeds that you plant grow into some kind of, yeah, more empathy. But it's really like my my line manager, she will get very excited about I'm talking about her in, in the podcast. Like I've taught her, because I've taught my team about stammering, because I'm like, I do have a stammer, but don't make a scene about it because I will stammer more just but I'm going to teach you about it and she was talking to a kitchen provider or and, and she's like this person's been really slow on the other end of the line and then she realizes like oh wait will that person's got a stammer and literally she said my whole was like oh I'm running late I, I don't have time for, for why is this person taking so long to process and then and she's like I won't say her actual language but she's like oh wait I he's got a stammer and then she said my whole thought process has changed massively so I was, I, so I was like I gave him enough time like he said I, I did impress him I was like thank you I was like we need more people like you to realize that actually 
you may you may be in 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 a rush, but that person can't be in a rush for their own in their own reason. Yeah, yeah. So to round up this lovely ep- episode, Helen, it's been a pleasure. But I got one last question: if if you could give three pieces of advice to someone who stammers, but also three pieces of advice to someone who doesn't stammer, what would they be? Oh my goodness, you've already asked me for advice yeah. and now I've got three pieces. <laughs> oh my word, um, three pieces of advice. Oh, um, I don't know whether we're going to come, I'm going to come up with six. I'll do my best. Um, so I think that, you can have some of the same yeah, for both. It's the same for both. Yeah. I think that's going to have to be the thing. So I think that regard, yeah, I think that for both, in whether it is in the moment in 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 a second where you are struggling or whether it is in a day where you're struggling or whether it's in a week where you are struggling it will shift and it will change and in the following second it might be different you might feel differently or in the following day it might you know and sometimes it does, it takes a bit longer and you might need a week or so, but then it will shift and it will change. And so it's never, so you don't need to carry over those feelings and those um, emotions and struggles as if they are still happening when it's in the past. And and it, I think that that is something that everybody um that in all walks of life, whether you have a stammer or not, I think that that's something that that is a constant um, thing that you're trying to that I'm always trying to come back to is that actually this this moment is different from the last moment, and it this moment will be different to the next moment, and that living in those moments is not always easy because we are attached to our past and we attach ourselves to our future in ways that aren't always helpful. Um, so I think that that would be a, a piece of advice. And um, and I think that another piece of advice is to, um, yeah, to never stop talking, um, to, to talk to each other, to talk on these podcasts, to talk, to, to always raise your hand, to ask questions and to, yeah, to just always talk. Um, to each other and that again is for both for whether you have a stammer or not and it's um because it's all about communication isn't it and it doesn't matter how those words come out it's about what we're saying and and how we're communicating with each other um on a deeper level and so that's uh, just hugely important and um and I think maybe my last piece which I guess is what I'm trying to do in my books is show that where there is where there is pain and struggle, there is also humor and there is also heart. And so those those things, even when something feels really hard and really tough, there hopefully at some point is a flip side where you're able to laugh and you'll find it. And, and because they, one only exists with the other. So it's there, even if you can't quite see it, but it will be coming and there will be a moment of, you know, release or laughter on its way in the post. I absolutely love those pieces of advice. And, and I'm going to take note of them but and because they are just 
Fantastic. And and Helen, thank you so, 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 so much for coming on Stammer Stories. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, talking about you being a parent or someone who has a son about also you being you being a you being a author or of a creating two amazing stammering resources guide because I because I can only dream of having these books of when I was younger of when I had my stammer. And and lots of people now who are with have a stammer these are incredible resources to make them realise that having a stammer is great and you can see the end of the tunnel. So thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been so nice to talk to you. Honestly, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been it's been really, really lovely, lovely to chat to you. Thank you. And then to our, to our listeners, I, I have included links where you can buy the latest book for Funnest Boy in, in the world, but also the, the first book, The Boy Who Made Everyone Laugh, because everyone, I mean, everyone, even if you don't have a stammer, no matter what age you are, or you can buy it, they just buy it. They are great books. They will crack you up. If I can confuse a cabin crew, because of why I was laughing and acting shocked so much, with just one book, then that's just a sign for everyone to get it. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening to this episode. This has been a very exciting episode for lots of different reasons, but also this is the first press in, in, in interview that we've done on Stammer Stories, and which just means a lot to me because it shows that Stammer Stories is a resource guide that people are here to learn about stammering. It means a lot to me, but also we've got a huge amount of um, exciting projects coming out soon so definitely keep a look out we're on instagram we're on twitter but also we're on tiktok where we post everyday stammering situations and also updates on, on our upcoming guests and facts as well so see you next time in two weeks bye <laughs>